You are now tuned in to the Storm Tracker Podcast. All right, we're back with the Kane County Podcast. I'm here with Frank. I am Gio. Frank, uh, disappointing loss for Miami yesterday. Uh, not exactly the way you want to lose that type of game, you know, on that last possession. Uh, seemed a little frantic. What's your thoughts about the way the game ended? I'm honestly, I don't think you ever want to take moral victories. And, and obviously Mario spoke about that in the press conference, but I'm kind of taking a moral victory here. I think we finally saw some life from the offense. I think the defense played pretty solid, uh, gave, uh, you know, Drake May his toughest performance of the year, arguably. Uh, they tripled his interception total in one game. Um, and honestly, I, I think that there's hope. There's hope. I don't think that they're going to be a national championship discussion this year or next year, probably. But I think this is the right staff. I think they're doing the right things to get these guys motivated out of a bye uh, against a really solid team. The team's five and one now. That, that's a team that is potentially a top 15 team in the country, uh, you know, in the next week or two. So I really think that there were some positive signs in this game and um, some things that they're going to be able to build off uh, going into the second half of the season. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I like the way that Tyler Van Dyke bounced back. Career game, almost 500 yards. We were joking about it in the press box. I said, uh, hey, if Tyler throws for 500 in this game, I think Miami pulls us out. Fortunately, uh, unfortunately, about three yards short. But Regardless of that, he still had a great bounce back game. That was more of the Tyler we were expecting to see coming into this season. I think a little bit of that could be attributed to the way the offense was more spread out, uh, a lot of more up-tempo, uh, just going fast, more fast-paced within, uh, within the scheme just in general. But I, I, I'm concerned about the run game, though. Like, we thought this was a strength coming out of the first three no, the first two games, and it's just where's it gone? I think it went when uh, we lost three offensive linemen. Uh, you lose your center, you lose your guard in this game. Zion Nelson's already out. There, there's just it, offensive line isn't one of those positions that you can just next guy up it. It's it's more of it, it, Chris Ball kind of spoke about this in the off season where. We got to play the five best guys that play together, right? Not the five best guys, right? So th there could be five guys that have some talent on that offensive line right now. Those two Oregon transfers could be really good players uh, down the line, but there's got to be a chemistry there. there you got to be able to communicate with each other. You got to be able to know what the guys next to you's weaknesses are. And, and I just don't think that chemistry was there with that group. They were really struggling to do a, you know, pretty much everything. Cristobal said that in the press conference as well, that they tried pretty much every run play in the playbook. Um, they tried different blocking schemes. They, they tried pretty much anything, and it, and it just wasn't working. So I don't really think this was anything on, on like, Henry Parrish. I think um, we do need to take a strong look at Rooster and, and saying, uh, what is he going to be down the line uh, for this team? Do we? It, it's just this year has been a complete decline from him. So I think you can attribute that, that, that fumble to kind of part of the reason why they went away from the run game as well, uh, how the game was just going, um, you know, with North Carolina starting off really hot. But just overall, 
I, I don't think it, it's a weakness of our team. I just think that they got to get healthier on that offensive line. Yeah, uh, I second that in terms of Rooster. Um, interesting stat line, seven fumbles through his first two and a half years at Miami. That's an alarming stat, especially two fumbles in back-to-back weeks now. Uh, ball security issues there. In terms of the, the run game, especially with the offensive line, great point you bring up about chemistry. Uh, you know, Justice going down in the first half. Then you had Ja'Kai going down. Uh, Cristobal mentioned in the presser that Ja'Kai's injury is not so serious. Apparently, Justice's injury is a little more little more serious. Uh, I like what I saw out of Logan uh, Sagapolu. Uh, this goes back even to the spring. He was sort of that starting right guard at the time. He got nicked up in fall camp. So now it seems like he's going to get an opportunity to get back in the mix there. Uh, like to see what he does moving forward. But I agree with you what you said about the, the two Oregon transfers on the offensive line between John Dennis and Logan Sagapalu. They're both still fairly young. Uh, they don't have too much game time experience in college football. So like we say, they're still young and green. But uh, moving over to the receivers, because this was a big talk that we had, you know, just going into the season, you know, it seemed like Xavier Restrepo was going to be that guy. A lot of hype around Jacoby George possibly being a big play, big play threat at receiver. Obviously, unfortunately, those injuries seems like the receiver the receivers have gotten a little better over the last two games. Yeah, I 100 percent agree with that. Uh, Frank Ladson has shown life uh, as that go to possession receiver that this kind of offense needs underneath and in, in the intermediate passing game. Uh, Keyshawn Smith there. He, he looked I don't think he looked bad. I don't think he looked bad. He, you know, no drops. I don't think he got as many reps as he usually does. Uh, Colby Young came to life right it was just that drive I don't want to call it the Daryl Langham moment kind of like how we were describing it joking around a little bit but uh obviously you see the talent there man coverage on the outside against the Tony Grimes the the best corner uh for for North Carolina a uh, former five-star prospect and he takes him deep and he and he was running solid routes um, and, and this is just goes back to everything I've been saying all year where it does not matter what the guys are doing in practice at positions other than offensive line and quarterback. You need to play the best guys on the field, okay, on game day. I, I think it's great to see guys, um, you know, do well in practice and not have missed assignments, but sometimes guys are just gamers, and obviously Colby Young has that game-breaking ability on game day. So love to see that. Shout-out to Marcus for his uh, prediction of Colby Young being an impact player. And, um, you know, I, I think that there's uh, there's some hope here. Um, I kind of said that this was going to be a bounce-back game for the passing attack, and it was. Um, I know this defense is horrendous, um, but Miami's going to play some bad defenses uh, the rest of the way. So this is, a, this is a good sign. Hey, speaking about gamers, though, and this is a conversation I want to open up. Uh, we'll jump back to the offense after we discuss this. Gilbert Frierson. I think he's a gamer. Um, I asked Coach Steele this earlier in the week before this game last night. Uh, what was the plan with Gilbert Frierson moving forward? Is he going to play more? Are they looking to play him more as a, as a linebacker? 
Um, I saw one snap at linebacker. I did notice during the game. I like, don't get me wrong. I like to Corey Couch in the nickel, in the slot, handling that. But he gets lost in the wash in terms of when it's the when it's a running play or a running down. Uh, seems to struggle in that aspect. And I feel like that's one of the strengths of Gilbert Frierson. And this goes back to what Steele was saying earlier in the week. He was like, yeah, you know, it's like a situational type of thing that we're handling the star position, you know, like Corey's in on certain down and distance, and then we bring in Gil. I haven't really seen that. Your thoughts? My thoughts are James Williams and Gilbert Frierson need to be playing more linebacker. And I think we saw that kind of once again, Corey Flagg, you know, he made some plays downhill, right? He saw some make, make some plays in the backfield. And, and I get it on rundowns. You might want him on the field. But we were seeing him rotated out on rundowns and then put on the field and passing downs. And for me, I think that's that's a cause for concern um, in regards to assessment of personnel uh, by the defensive staff. I, I get that you want a guy that's going to do everything right uh, when, when the biggest moments are, are there. But – once again, he he left us hanging a little bit um, in regards to communication, um, regards to athletic ability um, in space, and I, I just don't think he's that guy in regards to covering receivers or covering backs out the backfield or, or doing anything along those lines. I don't think that he has the athletic ability to be that type of linebacker. Um, I, I think that Gilbert Frierson and James Williams have the – the ability to impact the run game just as well as a guy like Corey Flagg. We saw James smacking people, right? And obviously there's a difference between uh, hitting ability and, and, you know, sniffing out a run play. But still, I don't think that James – or I think James has the football acumen as well as Gilbert Frierson uh, to be able to develop as a linebacker. Um, and all you need to do that is game time experience and, and, and being in the fire. So they got to do more of that. I think that'll be a huge, especially against ACC teams that utilize a lot of four and five wide sets. Um, so that's just my kind of take on, on Gilbert Frierson and, and his need to be on the field going forward. Speaking about that with personnel usage, because I fired off a tweet uh, mid-game saying, I have so many questions regarding – Miami's personnel usage that I don't feel like they play towards their strengths at times. Uh, you know, we noticed this in the box. We're like, why are they pulling Thad Franklin out of the game when you're inside the opposing 10-yard line? Like, why Why are we doing that? Or just, you know, just in essence of, I look, this is my belief. This is dating back to when they were in high school. Tyreek Stevenson, I think you and me could probably agree to this Frank uh he's always been a safety I don't feel corner is that natural position for him I feel like that is really coming to light this season uh especially playing more man coverage scheme now I feel like the coaches have to have a talk with certain players about where exactly do they fit into the pieces of the puzzle in terms of of everything in general the way the team is formulated on the field from down to down, snap to snap, distance, everything. It's There's a lot of questions, and it even goes to the offense, too, and defense. Offense in terms of why is there jet sweeps being used for Michael Redding and Romello Brinson when that's really more so of strengths to guys like Rashard Smith, 
and Jalen Knighton. Your thoughts, Frank? Man, my thoughts are the same as yours. I I, I kind of question a lot of the personnel decisions, right? I, I I've I've said it before where I think that they rely too much on on what guys do in practice. I think DJ Ivy was solid in, in this this game against North Carolina, but we've seen like the next week he could be awful, right? And and I think we rely a little too heavily on on the experience of guys like Ivy and Stevenson uh, and what they do in practice, but. Those guys have been in this game long enough to know how to get through a practice and and maybe still have those deficiencies on game day. Uh, Their reporter showed that he should be on the field once again. That second half, he's a huge reason why that passing game is shut down to one side of the field. He completely eliminated you know his his assignment. Um, we saw multiple times where Drake May looked to his side of the field, had a double pump, and then go the other way. Uh, I, that's a that's that's because of Daryl Porter and his ability to cover guys uh, and, and just being in the right place at the right time. There was no miscommunications when when Daryl Porter was on the field. So I, I definitely think a conversation needs to be had with Tyree Stevenson. I think the, the, the time of promises, um, you know, and what, what he was told was going to happen with Mario, with, with uh, Manny Diaz and maybe Mario when he first came to keep him in the building, um, is gone. Uh, you you, you got to do what's best for the team. And him, him playing outside corner is not what's best for the team. If you want to replace uh, Corey Couch with Tyreek Stevenson, I might be okay with that, right? Just because Stevenson's going to come up and play the run. And I think he's still got enough coverage ability to be able to play on the slot. Um, I don't think that he's any better any better than the, the safety options that we have right now. Uh, I don't even know if he's better than Al Blades in regard to to being a better safety just because you got to know what you're doing back there. And he hasn't really done a good job of showing uh, that he knows what's going on in the defense on a consistent basis. So um, I'd love him in the slot as a guy we're, we're blitzing off the edge and, uh, you know, using it in a, in a myriad of, of ways, but, but you're hundred percent right on, on, on him not being the guy at corner any longer. Yeah, no. Um, Good point you bring up about that star position, possibly playing Stevenson there. I had Tyreek on on a Twitter space during the offseason. You know, he was out all of spring with the injury, whatnot. Spoke with Tyreek about this. I got word about it. Apparently, they were considering using him at the star position, and that hasn't really matriculated going into the season. So I'm just, I was kind of lost about it. I'm like, what happened? And didn't really come about. I think it's time to, revisit that idea i think we've seen enough examples you know just watching from the box or watching any highlights of the games that he struggles with his feet he does but moving over towards tight ends i want to speak about the tight ends here will mallory nice bounce back game i know a lot of people are going to highlight that drop he had even though miami did convert on the next down for a first down so it's kind of moot point at this point. Game's already over. I felt like he had a nice rebound game, but my take on it is I've seen this throughout Will Mallory's career, and I'm hoping maybe he has finally turned the corner. Uh, usually he has a slump of a few games, and then he goes on a tear for X amount of games, becoming consistent. I would only hope that he finishes out his last year at Miami like this for the rest of the season because that's the type of performances that 
Miami's offense will need from him. That's what Josh, Josh Gaddis is going to need from him. Now, in terms of the other guys, uh, Jaleel Skinner, I think he flashed a bit, but obviously still young. Um, maybe, you know, those high-pressure moments. I wouldn't put the last play, uh, the second-to-last play of the game on Jaleel. I think that's more of just the, you know, just bad timing, bad decision in terms of the miscommunication there between Tyler and Jaleel. But what were your thoughts about that when the game was ending? I thought that was more on Van Dyke than it was on Jaleel. Uh, you were screaming it out in the press box, throw it to Jaleel, throw it to Jaleel, because he, he opened up quick. Uh, the defensive backs, you know, kind of bailed out, uh, trying to stop a, a potential score from happening. Uh, and he opened up underneath. And as soon as Tyler started rolling out uh, towards Jaleel, that's when the defensive backs started to come back up uh, and get on Jaleel. And he got hit pretty much as soon as he caught the ball. Uh, and he did try to get out of bounds. Um, you know, there was an effort there. Um, and it was a good play by the defensive back. Um, but just overall, I, I think it was a positive, positive game from Jaleel Skinner. Um, I think tight ends, one of that those positions, and we see it in the NFL where a guy can have 150 yards and then the next game he has like 12. It, it's just based on scheme. Uh, the utili- utilization in the run game, you know, keeping a guy in a block or something along those lines, like an extra tackle, um, it, it kind of impacts their ability uh, to have the same uh, production at, as a receiver. Um, I think Mallory is someone that Van Dyke trusts, and I think that we got to use him more in this offense going forward. And you see him as that guy that forces teams to get away from some of their cover two stuff. Uh, you know, his, his ability to threaten the middle of the field, uh, kind of be an outlet uh, option for, for Tyler Van Dyke on shorter throws and maybe some make, you know, make some, some extra plays uh, at, with, with yak uh, type uh, potential. Uh, I, I like Mallory and I, and I think he's had some moments and this was just another really good moment for him um, in his career at Miami. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the defensive line, five sacks, that's nice uptick in performance, at least in terms of through these first five games. I thought it was probably their most impressive performance, I think, in terms of just getting home, uh, creating sacks, creating pressures. Uh, let's talk about Daryl Jackson. I mean, what a godsend for Miami from the transfer portal with him. Uh, you know, freakish, freakish size-wise, uh, when, you, when you saw him coming in, when he arrived at Miami, but I don't know if anyone really predicted him to be this good, this fast. Uh, your thoughts on Daryl? Love him. I love him. What a steal out of the transfer portal. That's a putting him and Leonard Taylor together as, as those one, a options in that, in that three deep rotation is huge. And we're seeing it. Defense is playing well, right? The defense is playing well. North Carolina did nothing in the second half. Right. Kevin Steele is a very good coach. I think that guy, you know, beyond no coach is really perfect. Right. So we we can question some of the personnel decisions, but this has been a complete overhaul of what we have expected defensively from the University of Miami over in recent years. And I'm I'm so pleasantly surprised at the progress. And Daryl Jackson, we we heard uh, people echoing his, his his greatness. Um, in, in fall camp and since he's really arrived as a mammoth athlete 
uh, interior pass rusher who's, who can dominate the run, uh, kind of a clone frame-wise to Leonard Taylor. And I, I think that over the next two years, Miami could be looking at potentially two first-round draft pick defensive tackles and, and Daryl Jackson being one of them. Yeah, I think they have a great situation on their hands in terms of that interior defensive line. Uh, you know, just even the versatility that they get from Akeem Mesidor, you know, they kind of put him in that F1 NASCAR package, uh, kicking him inside. They put Mitchell Agude in there, too. I noted that during the game, seeing them toss out that, that wrinkle a few times during the season. But they have a great situation on the interior, on the D-line. You know, you just having having your top three guys being Jared Harrison Hunt and Leonard Taylor and Daryl Jackson, those, those are all – draftable guys nfl players but i feel like we have to speak about the jump in performance from jafari harvey this season compared to the last few seasons at miami i feel he's a guy that you know every, every a lot of canes fans or just viewers in general they were always questioning oh when is harvey going to take that next step when is he going to take that next step i feel like it's this season i feel he's been very impressive uh, may need to clean up a bit in terms of finishing, uh, getting more sacks, but he's constantly in the backfield getting pressure. Your thoughts? I think Harvey has really developed as a pass rusher and, and doing some really good things on the on the defensive line. I think that even Mitchell Agude had had a solid performance uh, this game. We're seeing, you know, I, I'd love to see a little bit more development from Elijah Roberts, but you know, you're seeing guys. Uh, be impact players as, as edge guys for this defense where we didn't see any of that last year. Um, so it, like I said, it, this defense has been a, a blessing uh, for this Miami team, despite a two and three start. Uh, I, I, I love what uh, this defense is going to look like going forward. There's a lot of youth on this team. Uh, you get most of these guys back next year outside of like Caleb Johnson and Mitchell Lagude. I don't think Harvey goes to the league after this season. I think that he needs another mango season. Um, but I think that this defensive line is exactly what Miami needs. Uh, maybe some some things to fix on, on the second and third levels of the defense. But overall, there's there's a lot of positives. And, and, ja- and Jafari Harvey has been one of those guys as not only a, a, a pass rush uh, presence, um, and, and, a, and a solid player overall, but a leader on this team as well. Yeah, Let, let's move over to some some young guys that, you know, you and me were discussing this. We're like, they should be playing more. And, you know, they got a few snaps, but you really could see that type of impact that they could potentially bring because they actually showed it on tape. Uh, Nigel Lee Ke- excuse me, Nigel Lee Kelly and Wesley DeSaint. Um I noticed from the first play, the Saints got in. He had a tackle his very first play. I'm like, wow, look at this. It's amazing. And it, I think it goes a little hand in hand to, yeah, you know, about practice preparation, how guys practice. But some of these kids, this goes back to the high school days that some of these guys, when they got in games, they they made their presence known. They made impact plays. And, you know, just on limited snaps, I like what I saw from them. Your thoughts, Frank? West of the Saint is one of my guys, so I'm a little biased here. But another guy that might not be a practice guy, but he's a gamer. He is a guy that comes in the game and is going to make plays. Uh, and there might seem, be some missed assignments from time to time. But 
overall got the athlete. He has the athleticism to be an impact player, carrying receivers up the seam, uh, covering intermediate to short routes, uh, coming up and play the run fast and physical. Nigel e. Kelly, I think right now is more limited to pass rush role just because of his, his dependencies to sometimes run up field. But overall, both guys made some plays in this game. We saw Nigel e. Kelly get in on a sack. Uh, Wesley on, on multiple tackles. Uh, I, I think that we need to see more from the young guys, especially in a season where you're probably not in championship contention uh, for even a, an ACC title. So going forward, hope to see more of them. Hope to see more Daryl Porter. Hope to see more Al Blades, honestly. And I think we will um, as this season progresses. Yeah, last guy I want to touch on, and then we're going to move into recruiting and you know just the impact of that game and what I'm hearing and what you're hearing coming out of that game. Uh, Cameron Kinchins. Um, I feel, and well, you feel the same way too, uh, one of the most sound tacklers on the team, possibly the most sound tackler. I felt like all day yesterday you just heard uh, over the PA, uh, Cam Kinchins with a tackle. Cam Kinchins with a tackle. And uh, had the interception yesterday, too. I know some people bring up that miscommunication between him and Tyreek Stevenson, but I feel like Cameron Kinchins has been solid and steady through these first five games. And his impact is really showing. It's really showing. Your thoughts? MVP of this team. MVP of this team. Tyler Van Dyke had a great performance, and, and we've had we've seen Henry Parrish be really efficient in this offense. But – Overall, the best player on this team is Cameron Kinchins right now. And you can talk about that that 74-yard touchdown. That was a lot on a miscommunication. I, I think that the defense has been a, you know, kind of been cover four based in a lot of different ways. Uh, and, and I think that if there's nothing that you're covering underneath, Tyreek, why, uh, why are you just sitting there and let somebody run by you? Uh, yeah, you probably needed some safety help, but players make – big-time players make big-time plays, and that was not a big-time moment from T Tyreek Stevenson. So I, I, I'm not putting all the blame on Cameron Kinchins right there. But overall, three interceptions on the year, uh, like we've talked about all year long, he, he's probably the best, best tackler on the team. Uh, and, and just somebody that you can count on, uh, whether it's a rundown, a pass down, uh, one high settings eliminates hash to hash. And his range and his his ability to make plays on the ball is something we haven't seen here in a long time. And uh, I, he's he's the Daryl Jackson of this uh, defensive backfield, in my opinion. Uh, and, and, and I think that he has – even better potential than what Jaquan Johnson was to this team. Um, the same way we talked about Jaquan Johnson before that last season it is the same way we're going to be talking about Cameron Kinchins going forward. He is a potential early round draft pick in my opinion. And I, I think that he's going to be vital for this team like this year, second half and next year. I agree. I completely agree. Uh, let's move over to recruiting now. Big news. Uh, you had the scoop for a while on this, kind of was holding it uh, in the backpack for a little while. But um, Antoine Jackson potentially reclassifying from the 2024 class to the 2023 class. That would be great news for Miami. Uh, obviously, Miami needs help in that cornerback room. Uh, 
not exactly sure how fast Antoine could get on the field right away. I think he would need some time and acclimation. But, Frank, uh, more on that possible move that could happen there. Yeah, I think uh, I think this is something that we'll, we'll officially know about uh, around December uh, after the early signing day. So that means that they still got to push for guys like Damari Brown. You still got to try to get back into the race for Coromani McLean. You got to push for Edwin Joseph as hard as you possibly can, because if you can round out this class uh, by completely overhauling your cornerback position, you do that. Uh, and Antoine Jackson can be part of that. He is a 16-year-old kid right now. Um, who would be coming in as as a player who would completely need a red shirt as in his first season at Miami, but has the potential to be a three three year starter um, after that red shirt season in a potential first round draft pick, just based on his length, uh, ball skills, his confidence, uh, just the pedigree is there. Um, we don't normally get uh, top fifty players uh, at the cornerback position, and and he is. Uh, a potential building block player um, in the defensive backfield. If you can have uh, Damari Brown, Edwin Joseph, uh, you know Antoine, mix that in with you know some of the some of the younger defensive backs um, that are currently on the roster, uh, you you could be you could not be looking at the same issues that we're seeing right now at the University of Miami at defensive back, and I think that would be huge for Coach Kevin Steele um, and, and crew. Yeah, so there's something I want to touch base on in terms of Mario Cristobal when it comes to recruiting, because I saw this firsthand. I don't want to exactly single out this kid, but as a top 50 prospect in the class of 2024, he was there with his family, with his mother and whatnot. Mario Cristobal comes up by the recruiting pavilion, uh, just starts chopping it up with mom and everything, you know, just embraces mom. And, you know, it felt like a very family setting environment, not not so much, you know, uh, uh, press the nine, suit and tie, all that, whatever. It felt more genuine that you can get the sense and feeling from. But what really stood out to me was when he spoke with this prospect, he was telling him, he said, look, you know, I know you can see it. You know, we're we're right here. We're right there. You know, we need guys like you to push us over that. You can see we're right there. We need those building blocks. And, you know, it's it's a great way to sell it because, yeah, you know, you could, like, you know, Mario said it in the presser, oh, there's there's no moral victories. It's, it's true. It's very true. Uh, an L is an L and a W is a W. But you can sell a vision to recruits. Now, beyond the first year, no, I don't think you could sell beyond that first year. I think every new head coach kind of gets that that pass the first year. You really got to get in your guys. You got to set your culture and what you want and expect from the team. So a, a whole first year turnaround, obviously that's not really realistic, but I loved what he said. And it made a lot of sense because you go back to the AM game and you watch this UNC game. Obviously Middle Tennessee State was just, there's a, total discombobulation but you look at those two games miami really did beat themselves they beat themselves and it was mainly just mistakes or you know missing key components like receivers creating separation in the a and excuse me the a and m game or uh just 
Well, I felt like the offensive line played well in that game, but, you know, in terms of Tyler Van Dyke having a down game or just, you know, Miami's missing certain pieces, and that's what Mario Cristobal is trying to sell. He's trying to sell that, look, hey, you can come in here next year, and I'm not guaranteeing you a starting job, but what I am guaranteeing you is you're going to have a shot to compete and possibly earn a spot. Um, yeah, I, I think that one thing that they can sell right now is the opportunity to get on the field almost immediately at certain positions. On the offensive line, uh, Zion Nelson will probably be you know going to the NFL next year. Uh, you got potentially two tackle spots that are going to open up. And uh, Samson Alcanlola and Francis Malagoa are guys that can step in right away. Uh, Jaden Rashada, there's no reason why Jaden Rashada – uh, can't come here and think that he's going to have an opportunity to play pretty early. Uh, and then at positions like running back, uh, Chris Johnson, or or even if you got in the Mark Fletcher sweepstakes, there's there's nobody outside. Like Henry Parrish is going to be the guy, but you can be a rotational piece here at at the University of Miami at running back from day one potentially, right? We don't know what Trevante Citizen is going to look like when he comes back from injury. At receiver, we know that Ray, Ray Ray and Robbie have a skill set that can be utilized in this offense. You get open and you got speed, uh, and you can consistently catch the ball. These quarterbacks are going to trust you, and they're going to and they're going to take chances, especially when Jake Garcia uh, steps in uh, when it's his time. So I, I think that there's going to be a ton of opportunity for guys to play early, and that's what this coaching staff is selling them on that that the culture will be here. Yeah, it's just a matter of getting the dogs, and if they can get the right guys, sky is limit for the sky is the limit for this team, and um, I think that it's going to get there. I think that there's going to have to be some patience from fans. Um, there's going to have to be some patience from some of the young guys in the program. But like I said, there are some building block pieces currently in the program, and I think that there are some potential building block pieces in this 2023 class that is going to push everything really forward over the next year or two. Yeah, I agree with everything that you said. Um, the last closing thing I could put on that, just to cap off this whole podcast, uh, you know, just speaking with the commits or some of those guys that are leaning towards Miami at this point, I got the feeling of that they're, they're buying in, they're bought in. Um, I had my concerns with, with about just one high-profile guy, uh, just some comments that just speaking with him. But for the most part, I'd say about 97% of the kids that showed up there, and there was a lot of big-time guys that showed up yesterday. Uh, they're locked in. They're very interested in Miami, or if they're already committed, uh, they're already planning to enroll early. A lot of the IMG guys, they're looking to get here early to Miami. Uh a couple of other top guys, uh, even some help at defensive back, looking to enroll early as well. So it's it's, it's positive signs on the way. Um, Frank, in terms of the rest of Miami's season now, um, how do you think it shakes out? I think they could still win eight games. Eight, eight games, you know, I, I think it's going to be tough to probably beat Clemson. Um, and it's not easy, you know, going through ACC play. We, we've seen Miami – you know, skip and struggle uh, prior, but I love what I saw from today. I think, uh, I mean, from yesterday, I think North Carolina is one of the better teams in the conference. Um, I think they were able to slow a really explosive offense. Uh, and I, and I think Tyler Van Dyke may be back with a near 500 yard, three touchdown game 
where he's completed almost 80% of his passes. So love what love what Miami has has uh, currently uh, go you know showed, and uh, I think that there's a lot of potential there uh, going into the end of the season. If they can win nine games, including a bowl game, this season is a plus. All right. That's a wrap on the Kings County podcast. We'll be back again.